You know, in the past few weeks, or past few months, maybe the past few years, um, I've watched as our world has gone kind of crazy. Um, and in the midst of the crazy, I have watched as people that I went to school with or grew up with have seemed to go crazy as well. Um, they've begun throwing out entire swaths of biblical truths, all while calling it Christianity. And worse, they then point the finger back at people who don't want to throw out biblical concepts saying that we practice, what we practice isn't actually the biblical truth. And as I thought about this over the past few weeks, I had one phrase continually running through my head. Counterfeit Christianity. Um, this may be a one-off sermon today. It may be the beginning of a series. I don't know. Um, I just know that this week I have been praying over this and it has been on my heart. We all know what a counterfeit is. I mean, whether you watch movies or whether you know someone who, who has had counterfeit merchandise, a counterfeit is simply a fake. But it might be a fake that looks really, really good. I mean, some counterfeit money is very hard to tell that it's not real money. There are some counterfeit purses um, that you wouldn't know the difference unless you really knew. I mean, if you ever watch any of those shows like uh, Antiques Roadshow or Storage Wars and somebody finds something they take it and they go, well, this is a replica. And so all of a sudden their dreams are crushed because it's not real. It's counterfeit. And so it's obvious in our world today that there are some that are living what I would call a counterfeit Christianity. But from our text, it seems this isn't a new thing. <laughs> Near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching what, what it means to be in the kingdom. And we find our text today where Jesus talks a little bit about what I'm calling counterfeit Christianity. It's there in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. It's just three verses. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, Use me as a vessel this morning. May the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask all these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This is one of those texts that we probably all have heard in our lifetime, but we get uncomfortable when we read it. We, we, we read this and we go, huh? Because Jesus says a whole lot in three verses. There are some things that he lays out here about Christianity that, that, that we don't seem to understand sometimes. And the first thing that he really says here to me is that words alone do not save you. These people obviously are professing Jesus, correct? Lord, Lord. They call him Lord. They are professing him. They are saying that he is in control. They are saying he has this place in their life. They claim an allegiance. They say they belong. But obviously, from what Jesus says, these words are not true. This is before we ever get to Paul's writings, where Paul tries to clarify some of these things. Jesus says here that words aren't enough. Plenty of people can talk a good game. Plenty of people can say the right words. They can say the right things. I don't know how many times I have found myself looking at somebody going, Wow, 
Because they can tell me everything that needs to be said, but there's clearly something missing. Words enough, words aren't enough by themselves. They can say the things people expect, but those words don't save them. And somewhere I think we may have forgotten that truth. We have, for 40 years, reduced salvation to a sinner's prayer. That's how it comes across to those who hear it. Walk the aisle, say these words, get a little wet, and you're good. It's what we always call them in school, the old dungle and chungle theology, right? You get them down the aisle, you get them to follow in baptism, and you've done your part because now they're saved. But that's really not what the Bible says. The sinner's prayer aren't, aren't magic words. You know, they aren't a Harry Potter spell that makes you saved. There's something more that has to happen besides words. And Jesus says here, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everybody who says to me, who calls me Lord. Not everybody who says these things are going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Because words alone can't save you. But he also says you can do all the right things and not be saved. Now, you're going, oh, great. Now we're right, right? He said, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles and mighty works in your name? Those are all great things. How many of us in this room have done those things? Miracles, casting out demons, prophecy. Now, is this something we normally do? These people have done those things. He said, they're going to look at me and say, hey, we prophesied in your name. We healed people in your name. We, we did mighty things in your name. We cast out demons in your name. Maybe today that passage would read something along the lines of, I went to church in your name. I gave an offering in your name. I went to camp in your name. You know, we can, we can do good things. We can do things that, that help people, that make people happy, but that doesn't mean we're saved. We could be a counterfeit. One of the things y'all might not know about me is there was a time in my life when uh, I might fit in across town more than I fit in here. I, uh, I wore nothing but brush boppers, wranglers, boots, and a cowboy hat. That was me. Every day of the week. So I was. And one day, I was, it used to be when Dixie, and then it became Burris over on River Oaks Boulevard. I was in there. I was about 15 years old with my mom, wearing my, my snazzy clothes. And this woman comes walking up to me. And she said, my little boy, can you please wave at him? And I'm going, why? She said, he, think, he swears up and down your Garth Brooks. <laughs> Can you wave at him? It'll make his day. So I waved for the little boy. I mean, and to this day, unless his mama corrected him later on, he probably still thinks that Garth Brooks waved at him in the grocery store parking lot. But he didn't. Because it was a fake. It might have made him feel good, but it really didn't get him anywhere. We can do all the right things and we can do good things and we can do things that help people, but guess what? It doesn't really mean that we're saved. And honestly, he goes on kind of to say, all of our good things aren't worth anything if we don't know Jesus. They call Him Lord. 
They did great works in His name. And still they were told to depart. And their works were called lawlessness. Can you imagine? Can you imagine healing someone and that being an act of lawlessness? Casting out a demon and that being an act of lawlessness. That's what it's called. That's what Jesus says here. You know, it doesn't matter what good things you do, and it doesn't matter what your life looks like, because if our Christianity is counterfeit, we don't gain anything. Back, right before I was mistaken for Garth Brooks, I had a teacher in 8th grade by the name of Mr. Parham. He was my math teacher. Uh, he's a fun teacher. Uh, I learned a lot. He taught us that true and false tests are crazy, because... Most of us actually made a better grade when we just put T and F before we did the questions. Um, he taught us probability by teaching us the game of craps. Um, Mr. Parham liked to go to Vegas. He liked to go and spend his time at the craps table. And one other thing about Mr. Parham was that he had an uncanny resemblance to Dennis Weaver. I don't know who Dennis Weaver is. Like in some good 70s movies and sitcoms and then in the good western movies, you know, Gunsmoke, he played. He looked remarkably like the man. And uh, one day, he went to Vegas. And he was sitting at the table. And suddenly, the, the dealer looks over at him and he said, would, would you just would you just go ahead and sign it already? Talking about the autograph. The man wants your autograph. Just sign the autograph for him so he can get on with the game because they're holding up the game. Would you just sign the autograph for him? And so he's sitting there going, but and he tried to protest, but nobody would believe that he wasn't Dennis Weaver. So he took a pencil or a pen and he signed Dennis Weaver on this man's piece of paper and handed it back to him. to be that man if he ever tried to sell that autograph. <laughs> because like counterfeit Christianity, it wasn't worth the paper it was written. Just because something looks the part doesn't mean something fits the part. All of our good works really mean nothing if they're counterfeit, if we don't have Jesus. So now that I have you thoroughly depressed, <laughs> doubting your salvation, and wondering if you're ever going to get there, let's get to the heart of it. What is it that makes everything count? How can we be assured of our salvation that our good works are actually going to be worth something? How can I be genuine? That's pretty easy. A relationship with Jesus changes everything. Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew I never knew. There was never that relationship. Evidently, these folks were saying all the right things. They were doing all the right things, but they weren't living in relationship with Jesus. Remember when I mentioned Paul? There's a truth found in Romans 10.9 that, that settles all of this. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There is more to salvation than saying a prayer. 
There is more to Christianity than just saying, hey, I know Jesus. There's more to what we need to be than simply looking the part. We can't just be people who check off the boxes because sometimes checking off the boxes doesn't mean anything because we don't really stand where we're supposed to stand because we have to have Jesus. It's been said before that your parents can't save you. Your children can't save you. Sitting in church doesn't save you. Nothing we do saves us. Knowing Jesus does. I can sit in a garage all day long and it does not make me a car. I can sit in church all day long and it does not make me a Christian. That's just the truth. Because he says you can do great things and you can say it's for Jesus. But if the relationship isn't there, it doesn't mean anything. The difference here is that the assurance comes from relationship. Cultivating relationships changes the dynamic in every relationship. And the same is true with Jesus. Do we know it? Do we walk with it? Jesus is the game changer. You know, the church has really done a great disservice to our neighbors over the past 50 to 60 years because we've let them believe the word Satan. We let them believe the salvation. If I can just get them to say this prayer, I'm assured they're going to be in heaven. But according to this passage, this doesn't say that. I don't know that there's anything that's happened if a change doesn't occur. If a relationship doesn't begin. If something isn't there to show the proof. We let them believe that God's standards can't offend us. That's the battle we're facing now in the church, right? That God's standards, He wouldn't give us standards that would offend us. Right? Because if you hurt my feelings, it can't be from God. I think God's kind of in the, in the business of hurting feelings sometimes. Because if, if you're not having your feelings hurt by God, you're probably not listening to what He says. Because when God begins to speak, and we stand before a holy God, even though we stand with a mediator, He's still a holy God. And somewhere along the lines, maybe we forgot how holy God is. Maybe we forgot that there is a standard He calls us to. We have to believe that once we're baptized, we're good, but Jesus calls us to so much more. He calls us to be more. He calls us to, to live more. He calls us to be something other than what we were. There are lots of people that we know who are now unchurched. That's the, that's the phrase we're using now because you may sense a theme in my sermons the past couple of weeks and you're right. I'm not good with the status quo anymore. I'm not good with things being always how they've been. We need to be a disciple-making church. I went to a meeting on Someday this week, Thursday, Tuesday, a day that ends with why. I went to a meeting this last week um, at the association. And we have partnered with a group called the International Commission. And, and what they do is something called Operation Anju. So we are planning a, a, for lack of a better word, a crusade that's not a crusade here for the next year in Hood County. And it's a disciple-making crusade. And I had questions. I got there and they kept talking about unsaved people. And I said, here's the problem I have. I said, like David Platt said here a few years back, I have to convince people.
people they're not saved in order for them to realize they need to be saved. Because we live in a culture of nominal Christianity, name only Christianity, where people think, well, I was raised in church, so I must know Jesus. We had a testimony from my wife last week who said, you know what, I was in church. I thought I knew Jesus, but I really didn't. We have to understand now that the word we need to use is unchurched. And so in the next few weeks, we're going to, as a church, begin to take some steps to make us become a disciple-making church. And that starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. We have got to be a praying church. We have to pray for the things that God wants us to do. We have to pray over these things. And that's part of Operation Andrew. That's what this thing is called, Operation Andrew. Because if you look at Andrew in the Bible... Andrew is always bringing somebody to Jesus. He brings his brother to Jesus. He brings the kid with the fish and loaves to Jesus. And he brings the Gentiles to Jesus there at the end. Andrew is always bringing somebody to Jesus. And part of what Apparition Andrew is, is we as church members pick ten people that we know that are unchurched in our area. That are unchurched. Whether that means they don't know Jesus, or they've just fallen away and they're not here. They need to rededicate their life. Whatever it is, we pick 10 people that are unchurched. And we're going to have some things to pass out. You can keep up with it, a bookmark. And those 10 people you are going to covenant to pray for. You're going to pray for those 10 people. And you're going to tell them you're praying for them. You're not going to say, I'm praying for you to get in church. You're going to say, how can I pray for you? And you're going to pray for them during this time. And after they know that you've been praying for them and loving on them for this long time, when these people come in, we're going to make appointments. And you're going to say, hey, can they come by for three or five minutes just to share something with you that they want to share with you? And they're just going to share their testimony, and that's it. The numbers they gave this last week, the way that this has affected churches, there was a church that had 30 people. 30 people. That had like 75 decisions for Jesus that week because of the power of God. We cannot be a church that dumps them and chumps them. We cannot be a church that is good with the status quo. We have to be a church whose hearts break for those who don't know Jesus, for those who have fallen away from the assembly. so easy to get caught up in <laughs> in the uncomfortableness of people we know should be here who want. It's so easy to, to say, well, that's okay. I know they know Jesus. And have you ever taking a plant that's in a pot and put it to the side and then water it for a few weeks. It begins to dry up and wilt. That's what happens to believers when there's no fellowship. That's why COVID was so damaging to people's spiritual lives because we shut down and there was no fellowship. We didn't get to come together. Now's the time that we change that. Maybe this morning... You've been walking around checking off all the boxes and, and you're like Carrie was a few years back and you said, you know, maybe, maybe I don't have a relationship. Maybe I don't have them at the center. 
Now's the time. You come down and you say, I want to know that. Maybe this morning there's somebody that God's laid upon your heart that you want to pray for. Come and pray for them. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership today. Whatever you need this morning, this is the time to give it to Him and bring it. And if you come, God will take your offering. He will do great things with it. Because God is on the move. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your